God is faithful. It's hard sometimes when we're going through and we're in the middle of things that look so turbulent to see God as we should by faith. I mean, it's not always, let's face it, it's not easy to walk by faith. That's why he says it's a good fight of faith because it requires a fight. It requires a battle that we need to enter into to continue to fight for this desire to walk by faith. And uh, it's just easier sometimes, really, easier sometimes to venture into that place of what we've been talking about, legalism, to venture into that area where we begin to walk into the rules and the regulations and things of that nature, all of us. It becomes sometimes easier. And I'll share with you why I say that today, because I want to finish up in Luke chapter 6. And you can turn there, you can go to the app, you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to finish up today in Luke chapter 6, talking about the subject that uh, we've been pressing into, talking about legalism. And the fact is, is that we all have a nature to turn to that, to that place where it's sometimes easier to to do that. I I was shocked as I I started to study through all of these things and looking in different things and reading. I was shocked at how much the gospel talks about this topic, how much Jesus talks about this. You know, nowhere in scripture does he confront anybody as harshly as he does the legalist and the religious. I mean, he comes against them and it's a hard, I mean, in a hard way. And then into the epistles where Paul, he is over and over again, not just in Galatians, but in many of the other letters, is he also standing against this issue? And there's definite reasons why. So it's a fight for us to continue in this. And so I wanna, I'm going to wrap this up today, finishing this up. But let's go there. Let's, let's read through the entirety of the 11 verses here that we're pressing into. We've been talking about this for the past few weeks. And um, I want to, again, close with something I think is really important today for us to have and to understand. So let's look at this, starting in verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going, talking about Jesus and his disciples, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. So they're walking through the grain field. They took the grain, they plucked it, they started rubbing it between their hands. They were threshing there, they were, they were picking, they were harvesting. What they were doing was separating the grain from the, or, or the, the, the wheat and the uh, chaff, and they were, they were making dinner. They were hungry, and they were making something to eat. Well, the Pharisees, they didn't like that. So the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Why are you doing what we have decided is not okay for you to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus, obviously we know that Jesus wasn't doing something that God had disallowed to happen on the Sabbath. Because Jesus never, he never broke any biblical laws. He never sinned. He was never in sin. And so Jesus confronts this, and he confronts it not by coming against these guys and calling them out for these goofy rules. What he does is something that we all need to see. He brings them right back to the word. Look at what he says in in verse 3. And Jesus answered them, have you not read? His answer should be something that many of us turn to. Hey, in the situation, have you not read? In the circumstance of your life, have you not read? In the trial that you're in, have you not read? In the temptation that you're entering into, have you not read? Do you know what the word of God says about what it is that you're going through, about what God has for you in the midst of the circumstance that you're in? Have you not read? 
Jesus brings him right back here. And he's, and he's saying, have you not read? Listen, uh, what I'm doing isn't sin. Have you not read? What David did when he was hungry and, he who, those, and, uh, and those who were with him, and now he, how he entered into the house of God and, and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests. Again, their rules, not God's rules. But the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man, this is the most powerful statement, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now we may not understand fully what's being said there, but they understood exactly what was being said. Jesus was stating as fact that I am the son of man. That is a title of divinity given out of Daniel chapter 7, and they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I am God, and I am Lord of the Sabbath. That means I am the ruler. I am the ultimate supreme authority over all things and listen if he is lord of the sabbath then that makes him lord of every other day as well and he makes that declaration and then uh verse six the next story it goes on on another sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered and the scribes and the pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him well, I talked about this last week. What an amazing reason to go to church. Amen? Yes. Let's go find what we can pick apart. Let's go find what we can be critical over. And that's what they were doing. They wanted a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, listen to what he said. He said, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to destroy it. He said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do things my way or your way? Church, we have, is, it, is, is it okay for God to do things his way when it doesn't agree with our way? Because again, he states the very drastic difference that's there between our way or their way and his way. Verse 10, and he looked around at them all, and he said to him, or said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word, that your word is here to enlighten us and to be, Father God, the light that will show us how we can walk and what we should do. Let, Father God, your word permeate our hearts. Let your word bring light to our life. Let your word open our minds to you. God, I pray today that we would, I would rightly divide the word, that I would speak, Lord, only what comes from your throne. Help me, Holy Spirit, to say and to do only what you have called. And in this time, I pray for ears to be open, that we could receive from you, Lord, what you've intended. For each one that's here, Lord, you've brought them here, and you've brought them, Father, to hear and to receive from you. I pray that nothing, Lord, nothing of the flesh, nothing of the demonic, nothing of the spirit realm that would try to stop or hinder that would have any profit, but that today, Lord, by your spirit, we would hear what you're saying to your church today. I pray that we receive that. I pray, Lord, those things be true in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So in the stories here, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're, they're 
coming against Jesus. They're, they're attacking him. And they're attacking him in, uh, again, uh, in a couple of different places. One is in the grain field. The other one's in church, on, in the synagogue. And both are happening on this day called Sabbath. The battlefield that they're picking to, this battle on is that Sabbath battlefield. But the really, Jesus is pointing out that that's not really what this war is about. The war is about legalism. It's about your traditions versus what is true in my word. And we started to look into some of the reasons why Jesus would be so adamant about this place of legalism and coming against that and the reasons why it would hinder us so much and why he hated it. And so we talked last week, I'm not going to go through these a lot, uh, last week we talked about legalism and some of the, the downfalls. Legalism will make you bold. Think how bold that was for these guys to stand up in the face of God and say, you're, you do, you're doing this wrong. To confront God saying, no, this is not going to happen. You guys, no. Also, it makes you unbiblical. Listen, when we put rules on top of rules that we think become greater than biblical rules, the only way we can continue to follow those rules is for us to become unbiblical. And again, that's why Jesus took them right back to the word. Now, you guys have got these rules here, and these rules have made you unbiblical. Let's go back to the word so that we can get in line with what is biblical. Legalism will make you arrogant. Think about how arrogant it was for them to look at God and say, you're wrong, I'm right. Oh, come on, how many times do we do that? Oh, no, 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 God, I know I'm not supposed to be doing that, but that's not, you know, me and him, we got this, you know, special, unique relationship. That may not be okay for you, but it's okay for me. And number four, legalism makes you unloving. We talked about that last week, and, and, and I want to press in and finish up with that a little bit today. You know, in the second story, in verses 6 through 10, we, we have the, another incident that's happened on the Sabbath, and it's going on in the synagogue. And there's this man who walks in, or this man that's there, and he's got a withered hand. Uh, now, again, the scribes and the Pharisees, I don't know why this guy's there. I don't know if they, were, they brought him in. I don't know if he just came that day. I don't know if he was Jewish and he'd been coming to synagogue all his life. I don't know if he'd heard that Jesus is healing, so he just came to synagogue. He didn't know that it wasn't appropriate. He, he may not. I don't know. It just says that this guy is there, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they're in church that day, and what they're doing is they're watching to see what Jesus is going to do. They just are, listen, is Jesus going to heal this man on the Sabbath? And so they're all sitting back and they're watching, what's he going to do? Is Jesus going to heal him? Is he going to do it? Will he do it? Now they all knew that the Bible, you know, in Genesis and, and, and into uh, Deuteronomy and, and all, the Bible says that, that we're supposed to, on the Sabbath, there's supposed to be no work. If you look up the definition of the Hebrew word that's translated as work, what that means is business or occupation. So God was desiring that what we would do is cease from our business, from our occupation, from that which what we do, and that we would find in that day, on that Sabbath, a time of rest, that we would come to that place of rest. Now listen, God took that very seriously. If you look in the Old Testament, the law says that if a man did not keep the Sabbath, that he should be put to death. Anybody else thought, why in the world would God put, why? That's kind of harsh, isn't it? 
But I, again, as I've been learning, we've been walking through this whole thing together over the past few months. I've been sharing with you some of my trials and some of the issues that I've been struggling with in my own personal life and some of those times of rest and things of that nature that I'd been ignoring. And I realized that the reason that God was so serious in the Old Testament law about us taking the Sabbath is he knows if we don't take a Sabbath rest, it will kill us. It will kill our spiritual life. It will kill us in a way that we just don't want to see that happen. And he doesn't want to see it happen. And he knows the seriousness of it for you and for me. And though we may not be under that Old Testament law as the New Testament is here, as the dispensation of grace, listen, we still have to understand it's serious to God. And he wants you and I to understand the need for this rest in our life. And again, the seriousness of it caused the religious people to say, well, and again, started off good. Religious people always start off good. But then it went bad because they started adding all these rules to what it is. And I told you last week, there's, there's like 39 different things that they said, well, this is work, so you can't do this. This is work, so you can't do that. And they added all these emergency things. Some of them are just totally ridiculous, you know that, that, that what some of the, the Sabbath rules were you could, you could put salt on an egg, but you couldn't leave an egg in the salt for too long because that broke Sabbath law because the egg started to pickle. You know, if you were carrying fruit, it said if you were carrying fruit with both hands and you were doing that and the Sabbath began, you had to drop one hand. And then you couldn't pick up the fruit because that was work. Do you know that on the Old Testament, that as, as in that day, you weren't allowed to wear dentures? Because they might fall out. And then picking them up would be work. A lot of really weird, some goofy things. If you look into it, there is just a whole bunch of stuff that they said don't do. And, and one of those things that they talked about not doing was emergency medical care. That was you were allowed to give some emergency medical care, but there was a lot of the medical care that you were not allowed to do. And so and this was really cool of them. If you were, ladies, if you were having a baby, they were allowed to help you. Awesome. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Some other emergency things, but the point was is that, that they were limited in what they were allowed to do medically to help somebody. So this guy walks in with a withered hand. Now, it's a medical diagnosis. This is Dr. Luke who's writing this thing here to us, this uh, gospel to us. And I don't know, we don't know anything about this guy. We don't know if the guy walked in, he was born that way. We don't know if the guy got sick or had an accident. We don't know if he had an infection of some kind. All we know is that this guy had a withered hand. And it happened to be his right hand. And I believe he's telling us that because that's helping you and I know that this guy, it's his right hand is withered. He really, really needs his hand. I mean, it'd be really, really helpful to have my hand. Don't you think that would be a cool thing? So what does this guy come to church for? What's he in the synagogue for? What's he here before Jesus? What's he want? Come on, what's he want? Yeah, he just wants to be healed. He, that's all he wants. He just wants to be healed. And listen to this. The religious people decided that his condition wasn't urgent. They decided that he needed to come back another day because his condition wasn't that important. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I find that really unloving. I mean, that is not, especially for this guy. Because can't you imagine to this guy? Hey, listen, it may not be your emergency, but it's mine. It may not be your condition, but it's my condition. And to me, this is really important. You know what? Jesus is here. I'm here. My hand is withered. Jesus can heal my hand. So what about today? I think today is a better time than tomorrow. I mean, come on. I think that today, I'm good with that. Let's do, how about today? Come on. We're right here. Everyone's here. And so this is this going on, and, and Jesus has a decision to make. And he has to decide, will I, will I heal this man publicly in front of the scribes and the Pharisees and open myself up to what I know will be an attack or criticism? Or am I going to cave into the fear of man and tell this guy, you know what, let's just do this tomorrow. Hey, buddy, you know, meet me out behind the synagogue. We'll take care of that. Jesus has to decide, what am I going to do here? Now, again, I, I don't believe this was any kind of decision for Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And he steps forth boldly, and in verse 10 it says, Jesus looked everyone in the eye. And what Jesus, what I believe Jesus was doing, is Jesus was looking into that crowd, and he was saying, you, and you, and you, and you young people, and you older folks, and you, you people, this is your first time here, and you people that have been here over and over and over again, and you, and you, and you, you know what? You have a decision to make. And Jesus is saying, I know what I'm going to do, but you got to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to cave into the, 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 the goofy rules of the Pharisees and the scribes? Are you going to give in to the kind of pressure that they're going to put on you? Are you going to give in to these religious legalists? Are you going to be controlled by the fear of man? Or are you going to follow God? Are you going to come follow me? And we all have to be confronted with that same question. Will we give in to the fear of man? Or will we follow him? And just like here, Jesus was looking around at each and every person because he wasn't looking for a corporate answer. He was looking for an individual one. What are you going to do? And Jesus, knowing what he's going to do, he says to the man, he says, hey, stand up, come here and stretch out your hand. Now for this man, this was an act of faith. This was not something that he was supposed to do. I mean, it was an act of faith. He, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to come to me? Or are you going to be pressured by them? And this guy stands up in this act of faith. Because he believed, I believe, I believe he knew that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus is like, if you believe that I can heal you, stand up and raise your hand. Do something that biblically is okay, but their rules say you shouldn't. And in this act of faith, he's healed. And the religious people, they were just really ticked off. They were all mad. Why? They were mad because Jesus refused to paint by their numbers. 
He refused to paint by the picture, that paint by number picture. Jesus, wait a minute. I know, yes, you painted green in number six, and you painted it really good, and you stayed in the lines, but you're not allowed to paint the green painting on Sunday, on the the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that, Jesus. You You can't do this. You painted on the wrong day. So we're furious with you. They didn't care about what happened. They were furious with Jesus. And I find this to be on both sides of the scale. Totally and completely amazing. And absolutely horrible. And that's religion. Think about it. Honestly, was this a lot of work? I mean, was it a lot of work? This is what happened. The guy stood up and went like this. Wasn't that hard. That was a chore. Yeah. I'll never be able to rest now. But this is what he did. It doesn't seem like a lot of work to me. It doesn't seem like something that God would say, oh man, I'm going to have to punish you for that. Isn't it amazing that it was okay for them to come together and criticize Jesus but this wasn't okay. Again, I find it amazing. In their religious ideology, criticizing Jesus was okay. That doesn't count as work. But a guy doing this, raising up his right hand, that was a real problem. And it was a real problem because he broke their rules. And that's what happens when we start walking into religious legalism. That's why Paul, he says, hey, listen, in the New Testament, Paul says, you know what? You need to take a Sabbath. The Sabbath is for you. You need to have a Sabbath rest. And I want you to understand, not because you have to by the rules, but because you get to, because it's a gift that God has given to you. The Sabbath is a gift. And he says, and don't let people judge you over it. That's what Colossians chapter two tells us, is that don't let people judge you over what day. Just take that rest. Listen, I don't know if you know, again, you know, today we, we celebrate or we uh, uh, come together on what would be the Christian Sabbath on Sunday, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord's resurrection. And uh, uh, again, we come together and, and we, we're supposed to, the Bible says, take a day off. Take a day off. Come, to, come and enjoy service together. Come and enjoy fellowship. Come and enjoy God. Come and enjoy worship. Come enjoy the presence of God that, that we experience in corporate worship. Come and just enjoy Him. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy in your home hospitality. Invite people in. Have some time together. Enjoy of breaking bread together. Come and find rest. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Find that rest. Get it day off take a day off it's a gift that God has given to you but you know what some of us we work on Sunday I don't know if you noticed or not but I work on Sunday I know this doesn't look like work to you (laughs) some of you probably wonder what it looks like I'm not sure but When I go home on Sunday afternoon, I am absolutely wiped out. The older I get, the more wiped out I get. But it is, I mean, I work on Sunday, and so I take Mondays, and Monday is my Sabbath day, and I refuse to let any of you judge me over that. 
No, it's my Sabbath day. That's a day I rest. I enjoy the Lord. I spend time in worship. I spend time in the word. I spend time with my family. I spend time with friends. I spend time going out and enjoying God's creation. I take Monday, man, and I enjoy it. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. And you shouldn't feel bad about it either. We're supposed to come together. The point is, is that God wants us to grow in his rest. We want to grow in his love, in his relationships, in the relationships that we can have with him, in the relationships that we can have with other people. God wants us to grow in those places. And so it's a gift that God's given, yet religious people come around and they started off good, but they added now all these rules to the gift. You know, when you start adding all these rules to the gift, you start making something that was a gift, something that was to be enjoyed, something that was to be a delight, and we turn it into a drudgery. We turn it into something that, you know what? Now I've got this duty. Now I got this Sunday duty. I gotta go to church now. Otherwise, you know, if I don't go to church, then God might just smite me. Or all these different things. Listen, if you want to raise somebody that hates God as a father, then be a legalistic, religious person. Put so many rules around your faith that it's not even enjoyable. It's not even freeing. It's more of a burden than I had when I was unsaved. And I know that some of you are raised in homes like that. And I know that it's hard sometimes even now to separate, especially in a community such as we live. And it, and it tends to create in us this place where we don't always know there's a difference between Jesus and religion. Because Jesus and religion have been so muddled for so many years in so many ways, we don't even realize. Listen, let me just say this. If you were raised in a family like that, I apologize. I am, because that's not the way that it was intended to be. And I want you to see that here. I want you to see that these religious people, they are, not, they are fighting with Jesus. They're not working with him. And honestly, these are the people that ultimately killed him. The letter of the law kills. And they're the real problem in this. I, I told first service that there was a, a few years back, I preached a sermon, Religion Versus Jesus. And, um, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a subject that we, each and every one of us, we, we do, we struggle with this. And I'll, I'll talk more about that. Every one of us do. I mean, you can be irreligious and that becomes your religion. And this guy came up, I'd preached that sermon and he came up after the service and he waited, you know, there was people, I was talking with people and, and he waited and he waited and, and he came up to me and we sat down and I could tell that, uh, you know, there was some conflict that he was experiencing. He had tears in his eyes and uh, he came up very unsure and, and he said, Pastor Mark, I'm not a Christian. I don't, I don't, it wasn't that he didn't believe, he just didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And he said, my whole family, I grew up in a family that was really religious. I mean, we had rules. We had rules about rules. We had rules about the rules about the rules. And he said, are you sure that there's a difference between religion and all of its rules and Jesus? You see, he couldn't, because of the way he, he couldn't separate it. And he had a hard time believing that what I was saying about that being separated, it was true. And I said, absolutely, there's a huge difference. And he said, because I got, I, I've messed up. 
I got a lot of sin in my life and I need a God who will forgive me, a God who will help me. I don't need to be given, I don't need a God who's gonna give me a bunch more rules that I can fail at. So, well, that's not Jesus. Oh, Jesus will show you your sin, but Jesus will come into your life and he will come into your life and let you know he died for those sins so that those sins might be forgiven. And he's gonna come close to you and show you that he's gonna give you new life. And he's gonna draw near to you and show you that he's gonna fill you with his Holy Spirit to empower you to walk the walk that God is gonna lead you in. And he's gonna surround you with people that are gonna be in your life and they're gonna help you so that you can walk that out and be conformed unto the image of Jesus. No, he's gonna draw near to you. And he said, are you kidding me? You mean that God isn't a God who's not just going to stand back and judge me, stand back and watch me and wait for me to fail? No, God comes near to you in the person of Jesus Christ, and he comes to help you to change. And he said this, and this is something that I think there's a lot of people that have in their heart. He said, you know what? I've always hated Jesus. But I see now that I think what I really always hated was just religion. Because the Jesus you're talking about sounds like something that would be really good to have. In fact, it sounds like something I desperately need. Because he draws us by grace, not by the rules. He comes to bring fulfillment to your heart and to lead you by the love that he has for you. But it's so easy for us. I think this is one of the reasons why God says, restore unto me, or what we call out, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because when you got saved, it was all about grace. You didn't get saved unless you were touched by the grace of God to give you something that you didn't deserve. And it created a joy that became a strength in you. It became something that you knew that you had, that you knew that you needed, that it was something that you'd always longed for. And then we walk this walk out and we get into these circles and all of a sudden it becomes so easy for this default mode of religion to begin to creep in. Because it's easier. Oh, it doesn't mean we can fulfill anything, but it's easier. Because by, by religion or by rules or by the law, I can look at that and I can say, okay, I know I'm doing that. Or okay, I know I'm not doing that. At least I know where I stand. I know what's going on. When I'm walking by faith, it is all by faith. It is all by trust in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with me and what I do. It has everything to do with what he did. And I have to put my full trust in him. And that becomes a fight, a battle, a fight of faith. Because I keep wanting to go back to this place where I, I can see it. I can see that I'm assured in that. And so this default mode that we walk in, the default mode of the human heart is to go into this place of religion. And what do we do? We, the longer we walk with God, the more apt we are to become so serious and we become so devoted and then we can become so prideful and you're killing people. The letter of the law kills. Hey, we can think we're serving Jesus, but we're killing people. We're killing people spiritually. Not helping people. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 23 and verse 15. He said, your converts are twice the son of hell that you are. 
Again, Jesus confronted these things in such a serious way. I mean, look at, look at what these guys did. Look at what the religious people did in verse 11. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Some of us might say, I, can't, I just can't believe that. I mean, come on. can't believe they did that to Jesus. But man, if we fall into the trap of legalism, if we allow ourselves to stay on the trail of religiosity and, and if we become moralistic and self-righteous and hard-hearted, if we take and add rules to our lives that come to a place of equality or of greater uh, authority in our life than what the Bible is, you're on your way to being a Pharisee. Okay, I, I, again, that's the first step. And there are many people in the, path, the church that don't understand it and don't know it, but are far along that path. And let me tell you, it's very unloving. Look at what they did to Jesus. Jesus, he laid down his crown of glory. He took upon himself flesh, came into this world, submitted himself into this world and to what this world was gonna do to him. And he came into this world, born of a virgin, to be the Messiah that would bring salvation. And here he is walking into, this, even here, the synagogue, He's healing, he's restoring, he's preaching and he's teaching. And all they can do is show up to criticize him. It's unloving. I talked about this last week. How many of us just show up at church, you know, just looking for what you can criticize, looking for what you can find wrong, rather than what you can find that God has given you, that God wants to, to glean from? You know what? I... I'm first one to tell you, man, if you look hard, you don't even have to look hard. You'll be able to find something that I said or something that I did that was stupid. Totally equipped to do that. <laughs> but does that mean that God doesn't have a nugget of truth, something that he wants you to receive, something that can bring transformation and change to your life? Absolutely, and if that wasn't true, then God would have you up here preaching. This was unloving. All they did was show up to criticize. And think how unloving it was to the man. Look, what he, all he did was this. And his hand was, he, Jesus didn't even do anything. Jesus just said, stand up, stretch out your hand. Jesus didn't even lay his hands on him. And the man went like this. And the religious people started to come unglued. Oh, can you imagine? The guy's like, I, I don't know why you guys are so upset. All they did was make him feel bad for being healed. They just, they, they showed up. They just wanted to criticize him and get all, you know, unhappy and furious because the guy was healed. And, and again, my point is this, that legalism will make you bold. It will make you unbiblical. We talked about those arrogant, unloving. But the last thing that I'll finish with is, is this last one here, legalism. And I think this is the biggest problem, will make you dangerous. It will make us dangerous. It says in verse 11, look, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus breaks their rules. He breaks their, it wasn't the Bible rule. He didn't break any biblical rules. We know that because Jesus was sinless. He broke no biblical rules. 
And, and, and then here, you know, he breaks their rules and he does it publicly. He does it in front of a crowd. And listen, Jesus never backed down from a fight. He never backed down from a battle. He just fought his fights in a different way. He brought everybody, he brings them back to the word. But he takes these guys on. They pick a fight and Jesus, he's not going to lose it. He's got no reason to lose it. And they decide because he did that, that we're furious with him. We're just really mad at him. You know, religious people, they will attack and they will get angry and they will defend their idols. Church, when you attack someone's idol, no matter what it is, when you attack someone's idol, people tend to get even violent in defending those idols. And if your idol is religion, if your idol is irreligion, you'll tend to get violent in defending your religion because it's an idol. So apparently for them, again, this just blows my mind. Apparently for them, for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath was a sin. But it's not a sin for them, them to plot Jesus' murder on the Sabbath. That, that's okay. Listen, religion makes us dangerous. Legalism is dangerous because of this. Religion and, 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 and religiosity and legalism can absolutely kill everything that God's grace had intended for you. And that's why we have got to fight this good fight of faith. It's, it, we, we have to battle this. And, I, and I'm going to share with you real quickly, I'll go through them real fast, but steps to becoming a legalist. If you have it in your heart that you want to become a legalist, I'm going to tell you how. Okay, and honestly, I say that jokingly. I want to share them with you so that you, you know, you don't override God's grace by becoming legalistic and rule-bound. Honestly, so that we don't raise up the next generation of little legalists. So, please hear me out. Some of these may sound questionable but I hope you'll hear what I hear why I'm sharing these these things with you number one if you want to become a legalist make rules outside the Bible everything should be submitted under the Bible not over the Bible and once we start making rules that are over the Bible we have a big problem in our life because if you make rules that are outside of the Bible, that are equal to the Bible, you're on your way to being a legalist because you will begin to defend those rules tooth and nail. Everything is submitted under the word of God. Not, it's not equal to it. It's, it's not above it. And the moment that we start putting those things in a place, we are on our way to that place of legalism. Number two, Push yourself to try to keep your rules. So, like, and again, hear me out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up every morning, and I'm going to get up at this time. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every morning, and I'm going to read through three chapters a day, and I'm going to spend an hour in prayer every single morning, and I'm going to go to the church, and I'm going to serve over here, and I'm going to do this because I am devoted, and I'm going to work hard, and I want to be a varsity Christian uh, follower of Jesus. I want to I make the first team. 
Now, again, church, is it a bad thing to want to read three chapters a day or to spend an hour in prayer or to come serve at the church or to do different things around the community to help? Absolutely not. It's not bad to be zealous. These are good things to do. These are, these are good goals. But the goals can't be why we do it. Okay, we can't be led by the goals. We need to be led by the love of God. We need to be zealous for God, zealous for the things of God, zealous for what we do for God, for the right reasons, for the right things. Things like love and grace and mercy. Listen, I want to come to God so that because I love him and I want to do what he's calling me to do because I love him. Not because I have to, but because I get to. I want to be drawn into a love relationship with him and the things that I do and the things and the places that I go. I want to admit to, to be the flow out of my deep and passionate love for God that every moment I spend with him grows deeper and deeper and deeper. Not because I have some set of rules that I've made for myself. I know, but again, pray through that and see that you'll see that God wants you to be led by that love, drawn in by that love, not because you just got the rules. Because listen, if you just got a bunch of rules that you keep, what's going to happen that first day you can't spend an hour in prayer? Well, you'll have to go to rule number three. You'll have to start rebuking yourself because you didn't keep the rules. Beat yourself up. Punish yourself. Put yourself in the position of God over yourself. Begin to make your own rules. Be your own judge. Again, you've got the, you're the one who's got to make sure that you're going to create penance for what it is you need to do. You've got to atone for your own sins. And so now, you know what? I didn't read three chapters today. I got up late. I missed it. I didn't get to do that. So man, now tomorrow, ugh. I got to get up and read six chapters tomorrow. Ugh, how am I going to do this? And all of a sudden, it's become penance, not love. Listen, when, when, when I miss an opportunity to spend time with my wife, if I miss a day where I don't get to have a, a, a good conversation with her of any kind, I mean, we can chit-chat through the day, but we don't get the time to sit down. Listen, you know what? It, it's not because I feel like, oh, i got to talk to my wife. <laughs> it's not because I made a rule, you know, I made a list. Oh, you know, Joni, come on, let's hurry, hurry, come on, we got to sit down, i got to get this off my checklist. Come on, hurry up, hurry up, come on. Listen, I come back the next day and I want to talk to her because I missed her yesterday. Because I missed that time together. It's because I love her and I want to spend time with her. And I missed my time with her yesterday. Not because of an obligation, but because of my passionate love for her. That's why I want to be drawn into God. It's not because I'm going to rebuke myself. Because then number four, on the other side of that, we become prideful when we do. Look at what I did. I read the whole Bible this year. Did you? I got up early. I served. I read. I prayed. I gave over and above my regular tithe. Look at how committed I am. I am such a good person. And know what comes next? 
and I'm better than you. So we, we, we can begin to be those who rebuke ourselves and those who become prideful in ourselves. And then what we do is, number five, we appoint ourselves as judge over people. Come on, how many of us, have, we find ourselves in that. We don't, we don't want to use these words and be as dramatic as what I'm being, but we, in a, a smaller way, we can do this. Well, you didn't do things the way I do. And you certainly didn't do it as well as I do. You should do things the way I do things. You should be like... Me, or you know what, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to criticize you, I'm going to do to you what the Pharisees did to Jesus. And then, number six, get angry with people who break your rules or have different rules. Now, listen, I think we all, I, I mean, God wants us all to have rules in our life. I mean, we do. I have rules in my life, rules that I know God has spoken to my heart. Some of them, I, I couldn't go to a scripture and tell you this is what God said in the scripture, but those rules don't find themselves in the same place or the same level of authority in my life as what you know, the, they do. They're just things that God wants me to do because I want to be a good witness to you or a good witness into my children's life or different things like that. And we could probably go back and find some scripture references to all of those. But if you come sit down in my office and, and I say, you know what, okay, I'll, I'll share with you some of the rules that I have in my life. I'll share with you some of the, the, the uh, relationship rules that we have. But I, and I tell this to people all the time. They don't always believe me, but I tell this to them all the time. But you know what? If you don't want to, if you don't care for those rules, you don't like those rules, you don't, I don't, I'm not going to get upset with you. Those are my rules, not your rules. I'm just sharing that with you because I've watched them work in our life. But you need to develop some of those, your own rules, this own place where you biblically or, or just from the Holy Spirit are looking at these things in your life. But we've got to be careful that we don't get angry at other people because they don't do things the way we do things. They don't answer to the same rules that we answer to. Man, you know what will come out of your mouth? How dare you break my rules? Rules that we've exalted above the word of God. Listen, if you're parents and you parent like that, be careful. Be careful because you can destroy the spiritual life of your child. When you start taking rules and making these rules at a, great, a place of greater relevance than what the word of God is. You know what we need to be doing? Listen, rather than just having a list of rules, why don't you open up the Bible and share with your children why things are, why they should do this or why they might not do that and begin to share with them what is written. Did you, did you not know it is written? Not in a condemning kind of boring way. If you're a boss who leads like that, be careful. You'll cause the people that work for you to hate you. If you're a spiritual leader, man, be careful. Be careful about all of that. You can destroy people. You can destroy people, one, by leading them either into a place of being devastated, broken, religious people who hate God and don't want anything to do with him because they can't keep up to your rules. And if they can't keep up with your rules, how are they ever going to keep up with God's rules? Or you will just create self-righteous, prideful Pharisees. Number seven, if you want to be a legalist, just beat those losers. Just beat them. Beat them up. Hey, you didn't obey my rules. You didn't listen to me. 
You know what? You didn't do it the way I do it. You don't do it as well as I do it. You know what? I don't care if it's not in the Bible. I'm still going to beat you up here. And I'm going to intimidate you. And I'm going to coerce you. And I'm going to force you. I'm going to threaten you. And we're going to swarm all over you. And we're going to sting you. And we're going to give you. So you're going to be, you're going to experience some pain. And we're going to criticize you. And we're going to say things about you. And we're going to talk behind your back. And we're going to gossip about you. And we'll pressure you. And we'll do it verbally. And we'll do it emotionally. And we'll do it spiritually. And if we have to, just like the Pharisees did to Jesus, we'll do it physically if we have to. But we're going to beat you and we're going to punish you. And I'm not going to draw you in with love. I want to draw you in with coercion and fear and intimidation and and force. Because I don't really care what's in your heart. I just want you to paint by numbers. I want you to paint the picture that I'm showing you. I want you to do it the way I'm telling you to do it. And don't deviate. Don't get outside the lines. You, You need to do this and we will decide what number gets painted what way. And you need to... Just shut up and paint. That's religion and legalism. And church, the answer is don't be a legalist. And don't be a full-blown liberal. Don't be religious and don't be irreligious. Okay, I mean, the whole point is what the Pharisees missed in this. And this is what I want this to boil down to here over the last few weeks, is what the Pharisees missed here on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day to stop working, to stop from your business, to stop from your occupation, and just rest in what? Rest in the finished work of Jesus. That's what happened in Genesis, and that's what God has called us to do. On that day of Sabbath, we just need to rest in Jesus. It's a time for you and I to stop impressing God and start enjoying him. And that's what he wants. You you don't need to, nor can you impress him. He wants you to enjoy him. To have a time when we, you know, stop doing things for him and acknowledge all that he's done for you. To take that time and to separate and be with him. See, religion and irreligion, I mean, legalism, or even on the other side of that, that place where, well, I don't follow any rules because I'm this, this place of lawlessness, that happens in the church as well. Because whether you know it or not, whether you're in that place on, on this side of the scale or this side of the scale, what everybody's trying to do, everybody's just trying to find a way to be righteous with their God. Whether it's a big G God or a little G God, whatever your God might be, whether that thing might be, you might be that God, or your job or the place of work or whatever it is, I don't know. But we all have a God in our life. And church, what we all unintentionally, intentionally, what we set out and do is we try to find a way to be righteous in the sight of our God by what you do or what you don't do. By following the rules. And the truth is this. Only Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Only Jesus Christ was able. He died a substitutionary death for you and he arose from the grave to give you and I the gift of his righteousness. That's what he did. And on the Sabbath day, again, this is what they missed and I want you to catch this. 
On the Sabbath day, we stop trying to be more righteous and we receive the righteousness of Jesus. Where with all of their rules and everything else, see, they missed this. The Sabbath became nothing more than a day for them to gain more righteousness by what they did. And God got really upset about that because he wanted them to know, no, it's not about that. It's all about the righteousness of Jesus that I've given as a gift for you. And they missed it. And I don't want us to miss it. This is what God wants for you in a Sabbath rest. Worship team, would you come on back up? Let me also say the irreligious people, they, they're, it's just another form of religion. Those who are lawless, who don't obey the rules, who don't, who don't obey the word of God, they, they think that they've got a special relationship with God where those rules in the Bible, they don't pertain to them because I'm under grace. God's not sloppy with his grace. Okay, God does have in his word things that he's called us to, things that he desires us to do, but we have to look for the reason why we're doing those things. And again, if we've come into this place of legalism, if you're today, if you're a legalist, and we all have a tendency to move into that, I, I don't care what form of religion you were raised in, we all, in our human nature, we all are bent towards that. It's the default mode of the human heart. And if you're a legalist today, just repent. Repent. Jesus is more than enough. Just repent of, of your legalism. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. I've been doing things out of duty. I want to come to you because of the love that you've given to me. And I want the love that you've given to me to be something that begins to flow through me. And if you're lawless today, irreligious, you know, you're just in a place where it doesn't matter. You just think you can sin and do whatever. Listen, repent. It's as simple as that. Repent. And church, we all find ourselves in, in one place or another or somewhere in the midst. We all find ourselves continually battling this. That's why it's a good fight of faith. So each and every one of us, listen, the call today, come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness for our sin. Receive his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And today, look, it's a day for you and I on the Sabbath, as we call it, a day for him, to let him do a work for us. To let him do a work in us. So that by the grace of God, he might do a work through us. Not so that we can increase in our righteousness, but that we could experience in His grace an outflowing of the precious love of God that He wants to move through us to a world that desperately needs Him. And will we? And as He looks around, just as He did in that day, He's looking around today, and the question is, what will you do? Will you give in to the traditional way in which you've just always thought or always been or the way that you've been impacted or the way that you've been infected? Will you give in to the fear of man? Or will you follow me? Same question. Because church, the truth is there's a little bit of religion in all of us. 
That's why it's a good fight of faith. I have to fight that fight. You have to fight that fight. We all do. We're in this together. But it's a point where he's called us to walk it out together. Because like Martin Luther said, religion is the default mode of the human heart. So be careful about how adamant you become in your criticism of these Pharisees. They started off with a really good idea that simply turned really bad because of the default mode of the human heart. And once we start becoming judge over all of them, we take a step towards that place of appointing ourselves the righteous judge of all. That's Jesus' job. And if we're not careful, even as a church, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in a place of rebuke by Jesus. We can find ourselves in a place of rebuke like the churches that we see and read about in Revelations 2 and 3. We can find ourselves in the same place as the church at Galatia did. Because the mode that we desire or the mode that we are most naturally drawn to is religion. And that's why Jesus said this. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, church, for by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is only by an act of a loving God who gives you what you don't deserve because He wants to give you what He desires. He has saved us by grace and when grace touches our life, we are transformed and changed forever by the love of God that's poured out in grace. We are saved by faith, church. We believe in and we trust in and we put that trust in the grace of God over our lives. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You can't. You cannot do enough. You don't have enough. You're not rich enough. You're not good enough to do that. But God, in His goodness, makes you those things because of His desperate love for you. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. If I boast, I will boast in the grace of my God who gave me what I didn't deserve. He withheld what I did deserve. And His grace I find to be sufficient in all things. It's His grace. His grace. His glorious grace. And so this morning, I ask you this. Are you saved by grace? Come on, I'm not, listen, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about how good you are, how bad you are, how much time you spent in church or how much time you spent away from it. I am talking about the fact, are you saved by grace? Are you born again? Jesus said, you must be born again. In church, you will know it. Sometimes I get asked by those who aren't married, I, I get asked, well, Pastor Mark, how did you, how did you know that Joni was the one you wanted to marry? How did you know? And you know, up until the time that I met her, I was asking the same question. How do I know? And my answer to that now is 
I know that 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 I'm passionately in love with her and want to spend the rest of my life with her. And until I met her, I didn't know that. But when I met her, I knew that 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 I was not going to go another day without making a commitment to spend the rest of my life with her. I knew that I knew. Well, how do I know that I'm saved? I knew that 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 I was touched by the loving God who sent His grace into my heart. He forgave me of my sins that I did not deserve. And He came and saved me. He set me apart. And I will follow Him forever and ever and ever because I love Him with all of my heart. He changed me. He accepted me. He drew me in. He came to me in my greatest moment of need. And He gave me what I was longing for. I know that I'm saved because God has touched my life. He's touched my heart. And it's not because of anything that I do. It's because of the fruit that the Holy Spirit now begins to produce through my life. It's what He does. Not what I do. Church, that's what He wants for each and every one of us. Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you today, Lord, for each one that's here. And I pray, Lord God, for those that are apart from you in any way, shape, or form, that they would give their lives to you, Jesus. Not to religion, not to a church, not to an organization, not to make a commitment to this, but to just say yes to Jesus. And if that's you today, receive the gift of the forgiveness of your sin. Receive the gift of the righteousness of Christ. Receive the gift of eternal life. Right here, right now, this is the day of salvation. If you strayed, come home. This is the day for the prodigal to rise up. Say, you know what, I, I gotta, I'm coming home. I need my daddy. I need my father. Even his servants live a life better than mine. God, no matter where we are, no matter where each one is, today is a day, Lord, that we might come to Jesus. To come to you, Lord, the author, the finisher of our faith. The one, Lord God, who has given us grace and mercy and love the one who has touched our lives, the one who desires to forgive us and cleanse us. God, if there's any here today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw their heart to you. Then, Lord God, in their seat, right where they are right now, they would just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, if that's you today, just say yes, Lord, to him. Just say yes, Lord. I receive you. I need your forgiveness. I need to come and repent, Lord. I need, Father God, what, is, what they're talking about. I need that. Jesus some of you maybe maybe all your life you thought you know what I hate Jesus but you can realize today that today's a day when you know what you realize that Jesus and religion are completely different and I've hated Jesus but like that man said maybe I, I just honestly I, I see I've always just hated religion and I need
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Tell him right now.